am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and I am immortal. For a dead guy named Nash. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their problems. I'm Candy. Of course you are. Hello and welcome to Another Time McLeod, the only podcast to our knowledge dedicated to breaking down the 1986 cult classic Highlander. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it is so wonderful to be here. And I'm delighted to say that this week we're joined by our friend and uh, general all-round wonderful film person, Sarah Johnson. Oh, that's a nice introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for coming on board. And today we're going to be discussing Brenda's discovery and investigation into Connor's Katana. (laughs) Ooh, okay. (laughs) Indeed. Or, Or not yet, but yes. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, the literal, not the biblical. Okay, fine. I I did watch the right scene then, yeah. I mean, we're mainly getting to see Brenda be a, a scientist, a sexy scientist at work, mainly, aren't we, in this scene? Yeah, a lady scientist. What, what do you a call one of those? A lady scientist. A scientist. <laughs> not sure that's right. Um, but... <laughs> Well, she's a she's a she forensic expert or something. I think it's a, it isn't like comedian. It's like scientet. No. <laughs> she's a she's a forensic scientet. <laughs> yes, as somebody who is married to a a very successful scientist, very very good is Dr. Sheridan. I think we'll just stick with scientist. <laughs> under I pain think of that's death. probably for the best. <laughs> Sorry, I think you got that wrong, Sarah. I think you meant to say he's married to. A very successful lady scientist. <laughs> a lady scientist, indeed. This is the episode of which... <laughs> Sorry, I just appeared to be on a mission to get myself cancelled, but um, you do. It's, uh... <laughs> I keep Please. telling people you're so nice, and they're like, "Hang on, if yeah. they listen to any of the podcasts." <laughs> Please, could please. I think I'm being gaslit. Although I do know have the uh, probably what's going to be this episode title, uh, Lady Scientist Brenda Wyatt. <laughs> oh, I have a. I've got another suggestion for what it should be called, um, but we'll get to that in just a bit. Or, but, um, um, I'm trying to remember. I was going to have Brenda is a scientist because there's a song, isn't there? That's that's that, that's paraphrasing. I can't remember who it's by though. Someone is a scientist, but yeah, Brenda is a scientist. And then I put in brackets a sexy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's accurate. Um, yes. So the time code of this is 26 minutes 10 to 28 minutes 24. So I think we're actually covering three different scenes aren't we um it's the first scene when she's working in her lab and the lab technician brings in the fragments of metal that were found on physio yeah that's right then there's the next thing when she's testing the metal and she sees that something's a bit odd with the results that come through then there's the final scene of this episode where she goes back to madison square garden which of course wasn't madison square garden um she goes to the underground car park and goes back to the murder scene and finds some more fragments of metal and is being Using washed. her metal detector. 
and it's being watched by Connor. Yes, it's um, her ProMet 2, isn't it? It's um, Indeed. <laughs> which I found the manual for, and it's like, oh, look at this. It's, um, it does lots of different things, but I have no interest in metal detectors, so I literally can't be asked to read this. Um, I think you could. It's a shame you can't link to it because the front cover on that PDF is the best thing ever. The sort of very 80s looking, glamorous young lady cradling the, the metal detector. <laughs> For the freeze frame that I use uh, for this episode, I if I will try to include the uh, the front cover of that book. Oh, that's a great it idea. Insane. I loved it. When I saw it, I thought it was fantastic. But it does look very unwieldy, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that scene. And you have to put the URL, Rob, into the show notes as well, so that if any of our listeners want to read the manual for the metal detector that Brenda uses, then they can, because we're always giving. And I hope that somebody does read that and they have very strong opinions and they're like, well, you know... Actually, the most fantastical thing about this film is that anybody with a, a background in science would use that model. <laughs> yeah, that, Indeed. That's right. I'm not, not setting my hopes on it. She's not looking for coins on a beach. <laughs> well, t- to start, this uh, this sequence opens with a rather wonderful um, match cut with um, Candy closing the door on the Kurgan, uh, on herself and the Kurgan, uh, shutting herself in a room with the Kurgan, which, you know, again... Hi, I'm Candy. <sighs> Of course you are. Um, and then all of a sudden it cuts to, you know, it cuts to black and then we're panning across a wall in the in the police station to reveal through a window uh, Brenda at a microscope. That's right. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a really nice uh, cut. There's, I mean, there, this this whole little sequence with her doing forensic-y stuff is, I love that it's got so many low dutches. It's got like lots of stuff being thrown in to try and keep our interest through the whole minute and a bit of, you know, stuff that's not fighting <laughs> or lit with dry ice and blue. So, yeah, that's that's completely right. It's, um, it is one of those where particularly the scene in the lab when the technician brings in the bits of metal, that goes, it's interesting because that goes really, really visually OTT. And I was thinking that, Sarah, I was thinking, is this just because it's like, okay, we've just got to get some actual plot now, but we still need to make it look visually interesting. But I thought, well, actually, you could give the film um, a pass on this and say that it's only when she's brought the bits of metal that are then going to really introduce the supernatural element of Connor to her, that the visual style gets a bit more freaky and almost a bit more kind of sci-fi. Um so there's like a wide angle shot of her in in the lab um, and then it goes to like a very, very low angle shot of her, then a close up on her eyes and, yeah. and then it goes to some space age equipment that she's using to run the um, to run the metal fragments and that's like a wide angle shot as well. And it's like, is this intentional that she's now being introduced to the supernatural or is it just a, oh, there's quite a lot of exposition here. <laughs> okay, I need my wide-angle lens, come on. I suppose it's all reinforcing that the fragments of metal are important because in, in this sequence we're talking about, we don't get to we don't get to see why, we don't get to find out why she's, you know, swearing at the, the number on the little printout. That can't be right. Yeah, son of a bitch. Um, we find that later on. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I do love when she's brought the fragments. I looked him up, Ian Tyler, uh, doing a great, great work with real close shave, really like getting every second, every drop of his little screen time. Got a present for you from the corner. Yeah, what's that? Pieces of metal. Found them on a dead guy under the garden. 
in the wound and on the clothes. Real smooth shape. Uh, and uh, IMBD tells me he was in Full Metal Jacket and Navy Seals as well. So well done. Nothing else but the Highlander, Full Metal Jacket and Navy Seals. But yes, I do like that little real Who could shape. ask for more? Exactly. But what's interesting as well for me is that, I mean, I think that, yes, it's making a big deal about the fragments are unusual and special. And this is starting to bring in, you know, this is going to start the plot rolling with, with lots of stuff between her and, and Russell or Connor. But also, I do wonder if some of the low, very low angle is to disguise the fact that she's sitting at what appears to be a metal catering table. that might be why and also which would be an absolute git to try and film so the other thing maybe you'd want to do is do a sudden close-up on her you know looking at the fragments or but you know metal tables are not the greatest thing to try and do an over-the-shoulder fancy highlander style you know cut to so i I can see why and i i do like the weirdness of that really low it reminds me of sam raimi it reminds me of sort of evil dead low angle sort of duck very very low down looking up yeah, that's right. It's um, it's really interesting that you have that really, really low angle shot, which hasn't really been a shot like that in the film so far. And then what does he do after that? He cuts into a close up from that same position, and it's like, okay, this is this is interesting. It's interesting that you're choosing these sort of shots. And it could even be that it's like, look, they're yeah, still in London locations, and on the last episode, or I think the one before, we talked about how the interview room that Russell is in. Um, is yeah, it doesn't really look like an interview room from um from a police station, but it's like there's lots of set dressing of London locations in this. Um, but it's a good shot though. You just can't beat a good low angle shot, I think. No, especially in something like this where it's something something strange is afoot. I mean that that sort of slightly wider shot where you get to see the whole. I mean I can't work out if it's her lab or her office or what it is, but it is to say this sort of metal catering table. There's a very English or British-looking fridge freezer just stood yeah, alone. Right. There's a filing cabinet. It's kind of parquet flooring. It's, it's clearly like a municipal office or in a in a warehouse or a council building on the Docklands or you know or so, or somewhere like that that they've tried to dress to make. I noticed actually there's a couple of shots in in this whole sequence where they'll pan across something first, like the pan before we go into her room, with a, a New York policeman, a cartoon of a New York policeman on it, just to reinforce it. Here we are in, in, in New York. And when she goes to look at the metal on the mass spectrometer, there's a you know New York Police Department kind of <laughs> photocopied title stuck to the wall just yeah. by, by the doorway, just to make sure everyone's aware. Don't look, over, don't look any further. Don't look that we're very clearly in some sort of London you know, warehouse somewhere. Yeah, it's, um, I actually tried to see what the poster is on the wall at the beginning of this scene. It's, um, it seems to be like an outreach thing, but because there's a, yeah, there's like a slogan on there, help improve your neighborhood. But it's like, well, why is that inside where no civilian's going to see it? So <laughs> next to the forensics bit, the forensics bit, it's like, is that just the thing that someone just grabbed and said, actually, I've got some just got like a bit of set decoration here we could just like yeah put it out there's a new york cop on it quickly put it on on here that's right um although i guess don't discount you know the um the hr department putting up that sort of thing you know the outreach posters around the inside of the police station that's all that's all very plausible because you know anybody who's worked in a large organization knows that you end up with bump on every available surface regardless (laughs) of how relevant it is to anybody's job yeah rob do you remember one of our in our i won't mention where but our former employer at one point had a campaign to to get people to um speak out against different things and they had a, a poster campaign which had people holding up sort of stop signs um, and it was building up to a forum or something else. And the trouble is, it just had all these different 
kind of generic people that look like they're from a catalogue holding up something that said stop and very laboriously underneath every single one somebody throughout the whole on site had written hammer time underneath every that. single one I not remember that but um, oh that's great I, and I and I know this because I wrote hammer time underneath all of them be the thing i would do when i was on a night shift <laughs> i would casually go around the entire site laboriously when no one was looking put hammer time underneath all of their stop things <laughs> so such such was the joy of my 12-hour shift so appropriately for a, for a scene set in a police station we've just had a confession oh that's yes, very good exactly that's very good <laughs> and i do it again copper yes. i tell you you can't control me i'm free inside my exactly. head <laughs> oh. the I think I think you might be right there, Rob. I think it's one of those things where they probably had a look. It was the same price to get a thousand or five hundred, so we got a thousand, and we're just going to use them everywhere. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's why they're plastered all over the police station. Um, and so going back to Ian Tyler, who um, yeah has yes. the real smooth shave, which. Yep. was a line that um, Ian, on the previous episode, he was a he's a fan of that line. <laughs> it's yeah, he is a winner. But it's, uh, I think, in Full Metal Jacket, he's the guy who's been interviewed by Joker and Rafterman at the mass grave, and he can't stop smiling at yeah, the camera yeah, yeah. because he's so happy to be interviewed for Stars and Stripes. <laughs> I'm Sergeant Joker, and this photographer is Rafterman. I'm Lieutenant Cleves, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. Have you got a body count, sir? Uh, he just had that really, really cheesy grin on his face. But yeah, listening to the audio commentary for this scene, when he says that line, Russell Mulcahy, he goes, yeah, not every single line is good, is yeah. it? But it's... Um, <laughs> but... It's fine. It's a, it's a decent line. It, it, I, I plausibly buy that's what that character would say at that point. <laughs> and it's... You know what? It's correct to kind of police forensics banter. It is... It, it seems authentic to me, I think. Well, it's... Uh, well, Russell... Okay, he said, um, he said, yeah, but there are sometimes, you know, it's midnight, it's the end of the day, so it's like, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think it's a good line. I think the way he delivers it is maybe over-exuberant and slightly <laughs> awkward and then it, because then of that. And then it slightly dies off at the end, almost like he's embarrassed because he knows what he's done. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting line. <laughs> and I do love it. Real smooth shave. Um I can imagine, you know, him being like, Russell being like, not being happy with the take, but being like, no, we need to move on. You know, I've got angles to count. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have to get set up for an incredibly complicated low shot. And then later on, we need to find a fish tank. Now that you've said that, I'm disappointed that, I'm a little bit disappointed that we don't get a shot through the microscope. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling that's because it's not, um, I'm trying, I, was, I meant to have a get the, the missus to tell me what, because we've got a microscope, we've got several microscopes knocking around the house, they weigh a ton, but I'm, I'm not sure it'd be one that you could film down. Uh, for a start, as I said, it's on what looks like a metal catering table, which is going to give you some problematic reflections. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. But then I suppose what she's looking at is nothing to do with, with what's going yeah, on I with Connor, is it? It's It's just something else, that's right. I mean, jumping ahead, and again, we'll yes. get to this in a minute. The fragments that she later fishes out of the wall in the parking garage, you know, they're not microscopic fragments. They're just bits of sword. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> that, that, that blade took some damage. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, that's my, I mean, I'll, I'll 
shoot, <laughs> shoot my load now, so to speak. But that's what I think with the scene. It's like, why does she need a metal detector? You can see them with a torch. I'm like, I don't understand why she needs a metal detector, especially as those concrete columns have metal rebar all through the middle of them. So, so the whole thing is just going to go beep, beep, beep the entire time. It was just a very... I think they just wanted to show that she's a scientist and she's forensic and she does... She's doing all this stuff. Also, brilliantly, if you go on the Highlander wiki, it will tell you that her character um, studied forensics and archaeology. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. <laughs> Which I love that they've put that in on the, on the wiki, that that's, that's her educational background. That's the thing. You know, it's, it's, I think we were you know, talking about the police station previously. Russell Mulcahy is very invested in making every shot as interesting as he can. And clearly in this, he is like, yeah, I've got some exposition to get across. Although, you know, really not very much there's nothing it's all no. done kind of implicitly it's all to tell us that that she's she's um an, an educated person you know because I, I do kind of i do kind of think like i was trying to remember what what is her role is she a detective oh no no she's the forensics person who doesn't do anything at the crime scene itself apparently but there's a few things there with um because i really, really like the fact that when she runs the metal through the machine and it comes out with the readings we don't know why she's so startled by what it's saying, and it leaves it. For, yeah, I like. It that. leaves it for a few. Reveals that's later. right. But what it does is like establish that she is someone, as you said, who's intelligent, who knows what she's doing, and is investigating a mystery. And we're kind of on the mystery with her. Um, and there's a there's a nice bit at the end of the scene in the car park when she hears um, what you presume is Connor kicking a can as he flees, and she runs after him. And it's like, well, that's yeah. kind of what she's doing. Not away that's from. That's right, yeah. And it's like, that's kind of what she's doing in the whole film is that it's like, yeah, she's running after this guy to solve the mystery. But it also, I think, shows that she is, yeah, not a damsel in distress. She's someone who will, yeah, there's a murder to be solved. So she's going to run after it, even though she's not a cop. It's interesting, isn't it? It's it, it's that uh, difficult thing. And, and it's at a difficult time as well in kind of, of movies. Because on the one hand, she's she's got a bit more, I mean... <laughs> There's such a cliche when you look at a whole load of 80s kind of TV shows and films and it's like, she's a scientist, but she looks like an underwear model. You know, there's a whole <laughs> lot of that because they well, they basically did get underwear models to go and be the love interest in a whole load of, of things. But it is kind of pushing a bit. She's got a bit more agency than that. And I really like that she she's not too much of a screaming damsel in distress. You know, she gets into a lot of the action. And even when she is in, in great peril much later on, um, she doesn't seem... She's not kind of screaming and weak. And it's interesting. I do wonder if this film was made now, if she would be the protagonist and the reveal would be that she's actually an immortal. Did you see what I mean? It's like, it's almost like actually if you, um, is it the old guard? It, it, yeah. Which I which... think is a bit of a, a Highlander-esque ripoff. But there's a bit of that. And I, I, I wonder if they, they did this now that, as I said, it would be, well, it would be front and centre on her. And it would actually be, the reveal would be that she's also one of them. But obviously this was a different time and that was not the case. But it's nice that she's got a little bit more to her. And it's a good, it's a great performance as well. Oh, it is. It's, uh, I mean, there is a, I suppose there's like a comparison there with another Charlize Theron film, Hancock, which is um, the Will Smith film. And, yeah. and a spoiler for Hancock, um, he's an immortal. It turns out that she's an immortal as well. And um, so... They were married. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. God, that film just made what no it, sense. Yeah. 
the last 3,000 years, and I am done! I don't know what you're talking about. Done! You I like... don't know what you're talking about! But it was, um, although I think, no. I think in this film, so this film does really show its age when she's with the Kurgan in the car at the end, and it, the film just doesn't know what to do with her, um, so she just faints. <laughs> no. It's like... Yeah, which is a shame. I mean, she's sort of, you know, but she's quite, I quite like that she's quite feisty, and she's sort of... She's upset about all the people who's running. I love that whole sequence. I can't yeah. wait to get to that. <laughs> That's by It's a really good one. I mean, I love Clancy Brown. Everybody loves Clancy Brown. Oh, our last episode was largely just a love-in about Clancy Brown. Yeah. As more than one episode has been. And it's not going to be the last either. And it will not be the last. <laughs> Rightly so. And what I also like about this scene, uh, about the scene in the car park, which again is uh, the fruit market in North London, I think, um, is, uh, <laughs> is a, again, just writers just didn't, care about how proper police work would be done no um, not at all i think they they care a bit more now but because she's going back to a murder scene because she thinks there might be more evidence there but it's like she's breaking the rules by doing that yeah. you would get a police escort to do that she has reason to believe she's the lead forensic <laughs> yeah. like specialist i'm a bit like why didn't you do this at the time which is your job why isn't it floodlit why isn't it all you know it's very she ducks under a bit of red and white tape and that's it with a torch and an unwieldy metal that's right and it's like because of course the the thing to get across there is that uh, she's like you're delving into the mystery and there has to be some tension there um and there also has to be she's a woman of science so she's taken a metal detector with her (laughs) that's right and Connor needs to be... Yeah, only because she couldn't take her micro- microscope with her, clearly. Yeah, she had to leave it in the car. But, um, yeah. But Connor is there as well. Also, what, happens to the, what happens to the um, metal detector? Because she doesn't have it with her at the bar. Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to that. Story. Oh, I just thought that she left it in the car. But um, but yeah. Uh, and of course, like yeah, with Connor there as well, it means that there can't be another person there because it would then turn into a chase scene and blah, blah, blah. But it's like... Yeah, there's no reason for her to be alone as if she's doing something sneaky when she, as you said, is the lead forensic scientist on but this then, murder. Again, I guess and, it's, anyway. it's, it's late in the evening. She's not going to get anyone to go with her. And she's excited. <laughs> she's, she's made what she thinks could be a major scientific discovery. So she thinks, oh, sod it. I'll just go and get, I'll just go and get them myself. Um, even though... But also, we, we know from sort of our knowledge of later in the film, you know, if this was real, it would be a case of she'd ask some of the forensic people to come with her and they'd be like, nah, she's being weird about swords again. She can go on her own. Her and, her and swords, because we all know she's got a weird sword fetish. I think that Garfield would have jumped, at, even if he was off duty, he would have jumped at the chance to go back and try <laughs> and do something Yeah, but, yeah, but she's not, I think we've established quite clearly she's not going to ask Garfield. Have we? No. I, I, th- I think I think just based on his prior behaviour, I get the impression it's like, I could ask him, I'm not going to ask Garfield. You faggot, Nash? Why, Garfield? You cruising for a piece of ass? I'll tell you what happened, Russell. You went down to the garage for a blowjob. You just didn't want to pay for it. I don't know. I just am. I think that, well, as... It's like, I can go there by myself and there might be a creep, or I can go with Garfield and there will be a creep. And there will be a creep, exactly. <laughs> can I just, while I think of it, we'll get back to, get back to the scene. I, I think because, you know, we did uh, so much stuff about Manhunter. Some of the this stuff with her, just that this little scene with her doing, you know, looking in the office, the weird angles, the white room, using the spectrometer machine, did slightly make me think of some of the forensic-y stuff in, in Manhunter, that... You know, that era of this is how we're showing, you know, 
the all the forensics because this previous to the 80s they didn't show forensics as much on screen because it wasn't really it hadn't come into its own as much so I, I did feel there was a hint of that too you know she goes and then looks at the big uh, which i'm assuming is either meant to be or is a mass spectrometer for metals a metal analysis mass spectrometer and i'm nerdy enough that i did try looking at looking up uh, metal mass spectrometers from the 80s to see if that's what they look like so, <laughs> right and what would that do what's it do you know what the machine's actually doing? Well, it, it's the thing is, this is where I'm a bit like, I'm sure there are things that, well, it would if it's a mass spectrometer, it's going to just break down what the elements are of of the metal, so what it's composed of, so it'll tell you it down on the atomic level, so you'll you'll know how much of it, you know, whether it is steel, whether it is iron, you know, depending on what era it's from, how much copper's in it, how much brass, how much bronze. But the, mm. what it hinges on later on is about the folds, which I thought That's... you'd only be able to find from an electron microscope. I didn't think a mass spectrometer would show you how many times it's folded because you, you wouldn't get that when you broke it down and looked at it, it, its component parts. You'd only get that from looking actually at the thing itself under very high magnification. But I don't know if that's me with all the science people I'm surrounded by being excessively nerdy about it. I mean, as it is, which she puts it in a big machine and it tells us something is unusual, which is all they needed. That's for right. Part, <laughs> this is what I'm going to insert the clip from. She blinded me with science. Which, which actually is very, very fitting because um, that's by Thomas Dolby, right? And yes, uh, I in my youth, was told that I was the spitting image of Thomas Dolby by a lot of people when I worked at HMV, including a customer. A customer said, you look like Thomas Dolby, and I'd never heard of him. And then my manager laughed and went and got a CD. And it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I really do. I can see that. (laughs) I'm now looking at an image of Thomas Dolby. Or should I say Rob Daniel? That's that's what happened. I was, yeah, I was, I was an immortal an pop star. Oh no, that's, yeah, I, I was uh, 300 years and then uh, in about 1987, I just started to age because I am very much older than... Uh, <laughs> you just felt like it. But, we, the was, only way to disprove this theory is by getting them in a room together and then, even if it turns out, you know, they are separate people, we'd have Dolby Surround. Uh, hey! <laughs> Tish! That's very good. Make sure to tip your waitress. <laughs> that's very good. Um... <laughs> I think you mean Lady Waiter. <laughs> lady Waiter. Oh, it's... it's waiter, it's waiter, waiter Teen? No, Waiter Tris? Waiter Tricks? It's a Waitrette. It's a Waitrette. Waitrette. Food service individual. Lady food service individual. <laughs> lady. <laughs> I feel like we are... I feel like we're putting the uh, the spectrometer on this joke and... Yeah. <laughs> breaking it down to, oh, yeah. Forcing it to do things. Yeah, when you break it down to its component elements, it is really, really sexist. Oh, well, well, well. <laughs> Thank God the machine could tell <laughs> us that. At some point, at some point in the real world, I'm going to turn up at Rob's with, with my wife and a whole load of other ladies from STEM and they're going, we want a word with you. That's right. <laughs> no, that's, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be like, don't, don't punish me with a good time. Yeah. Don't, threaten, sorry, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah. <laughs> You won't like it. Be like, okay, right, let me get the microphone. We're going to be recording some Highlander with you, scientists. Um, <laughs> scientists. <laughs> but the, yeah, because I thought that, and thank you for confirming that, Sarah. I was thinking, is that really going to mm. show how something is, yeah, how many times something folded. was folded? Yeah, I just, and, um, but because I know nothing, but I know that you know a lot more about science than I do. Uh, yes, it was nice to have that confirmed. But, it's, but as you said, 
it's a big machine with moving parts and it tells us that something's odd. That's all you need exactly. to know. Exactly, and it looks impressive. That's all you need. The um that um the fruit market set, you know, uh, quote unquote Madison Square Garden underground parking garage is it's a really impressive set, and I really like how they managed to get some um some scope on it. You know, it's basically sort of Mines of Moria. It's a location, isn't it? It was um it was actually it was yeah it was um yeah it was it was very good on their um a location scout who. Yeah, could find that because, of course, it was it had the high pillars that made it look like the underground car park at Madison Square Garden, didn't it? Because all British car parks were much lower. Um, but it does, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It is, it is a good, it's a good location, and you can see why they went back there for the creepy scene. But it's interesting too, isn't it, that that Connor is is skulking. Around. I quite like it, so particularly in the, the first bit of the film. I mean, we have a bit of his backstory. We know that he he was you know, stabbed by the Kurg, and we've seen that up until this point, haven't we? But I quite like that he's ever so slightly shady in these first bits. It's almost, he's he's not, you know, you're not quite sure if he is truly the hero or not yet. But I also like that he's so old school that he uses a kind of guttering flame of a fire lighter to look for his sword and not a torch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like, really? That's well, that's <laughs> Yes, just hang on, I'll just get, <laughs> let me just like this. It was just like a formative yeah. thing for me. Like, yeah, when I had my old flaming torches, I just never lost the uh, taste for that. Yeah, exactly. Fire always. But it's in, yeah, it is interesting the way that scene shot. Because, Rob, you've, you've said in the past how sometimes in this film, it kind of positions Connor almost as like a threat, particularly around Brenda. Oh, yeah. The next scene that we're going to be talking about, he is a massive creep. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a couple of things where he's... He's filmed in that way. And and also, you know, when when he's being interviewed at the police station, all the kind of the stuff with looking at it. Well, normally when you film people from that kind of low angle upwards, it's to show that there's something sinister about them. And yeah, definitely. He's I quite like that. This is kind of dark scene. She's a, you know, a, a single woman in a, a dark and dangerous place. Off she goes with, a, with only a metal detector to defend herself. And um, he better not. He better hope he hasn't got any fillings. If only she had some colleague in law enforcement that could have been there as well. But well, this is this is the other thing. I'm like, she's an NYPD forensic kind of specialist. Why is she not down there with like you know? Why isn't it floodlit and full still, teeming with people? It's such a public place. Somebody has been beheaded with a ridiculously bejeweled sword after a massive sword fight. And I just find it weird. Like, surely all the lights, floodlights should be on and it should As still Rob be said, it was investigated. Late. <laughs> it was late. Um, I mean, come on. I mean, like, Moran is uh, the lieutenant. He's not going to go with her. Um, Bedso's laid up at home because he's just been thrown into a wall. And again, she's not asking Garfield. <laughs> There's only 15 police officers, apparently, in New York. And they all That's turned what, up to arrest person. Nash at the beginning. <laughs> Maybe 10. Watch it, free. Just call it. Watch it. Watch him. Watch him. But, uh... But for crimes against driving. That's just an amazing driving. But, um, well, it looked cool, shall we say. Yeah, it looks cool. My original idea for the episode title was Real Smooth Shave, but it's said in the first scene, so I'm not sure if it really encompasses everything. It needs to be something more about Brenda, yeah. doesn't it? Brenda is a scientist, I'm telling you. I wish I'd... I should have gone back and watched the uh, rewatched the scene where Connor's looking at her book because so that's probably it kind where of, they got it kind it of lays out her bio and yeah. I know it's probably mostly be on the wiki. And but I, said, I think that's what her... That's why they said she did forensics and archaeology. That's where it comes from. So, as I said, in a, in a different in a different era and different film, she's the lead protagonist. Maybe that's the way they'll go with the, the remake. It would make a... Just, yeah, given that uh, in Highlander, the original, there are precisely zero female immortals. Yeah. 
which is yeah yeah which is something that's kind of not said is just the way things are but you just well i mean yeah to be completely honest when i first saw this in the 80s that just didn't occur to me that, that could ever be a problem it was like well no this is because because we're following the men right and it's the woman who needs to find out what's going on um uh yeah that was that's just another side of what the 80s were like basically well, I was going to say that maybe that's the whole not having children thing. I'd, I'd love it if they'd instead go, well, you know, we can't have children. But then again, there are no female immortals, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, all of that definitely does play into the ever-evolving queer reading of this, well, very specific gay reading of this movie. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, well, just will, you know, Bre- Brenda taking her redundant metal detector when all she needs <laughs> is a torch because the fragments are so obvious you can see them. Um, and ev- everything in that <laughs> everything in that garage is going to set... Although I don't think there's any cars left in it, are there? Which I can't imagine the real Madison Square Garden would uh, uh, clear a whole level of the car park. Yeah, my next question is, what's happened to Connor's car? Yeah. (laughs) And all the cars, all the cars that blew up and splurged and kind of threw up petrol and weirdly seemed alive. That's the other thing. I, I would have thought... Yes, it's it's unbelievable that somebody was decapitated with an expensive sword, but surely the biggest story would be like, what the fuck has happened to all these cars? Somebody, you know, they've all had a mass explosive electrical event. That, that's the thing I find weird, that, that that doesn't even get a mention. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about this in terms of, and with all films, basically, is like, what is the time frame this all occurs over? Because you could say yeah. that's the next day, but it could, it could be the end of the week. I mean, it's um, how quickly does it take to get back yeah the metal fragments from Fazil and stuff like that it's like is this 24 hours later or is this four days later also uh, I think a cleverer bit of what I was gonna say I just suddenly thought which might have been a bit of a cleverer bit of screenwriting as well is if they'd have brought back some of the autopsy stuff from Fazil and it was some bone fragments and when she looked at those she realized he was thousands of years old that would have Uh. as much as the sword stuff fits it but surely that would have been a much better story writing kind of because I suddenly thought, well, if they're doing an autopsy, the coroner's doing an autopsy, is he just normal? Is it, you know, I, I, there's a whole lot of stuff you could do because you've got a body all of a sudden, a living, you know, a, a body that's not decomposed. That's, that's how I can't remember how many years old, but he's potentially what a couple of thousand years old or something like that. That would be really cool. I'm amazed that they didn't even bother with it. They don't need the sword subplot. They don't need the whole let's make up a fake back. Let's make up a backstory for her where she's really into swords as young hot <laughs> intelligent <laughs> women normally are so obviously lesbians is different but uh, <laughs> we all love swords i think you've hit it on the head there in terms of what is going to be focused on in the remake I, that is such a great idea and such well, a good you, point i bet they don't but it is it, yeah why don't just do that i just that's what i find really weird surely the autopsy on him would have been really interesting i think yeah unless the idea is that they just don't unless Maybe if you're looking at them on a cellular level and you can actually see the cellular regeneration because perhaps, you know, they do just manifest as being whatever their biological age seems to be until you really do get into like the uh, the kind of molecular Yeah, Yeah. but that's like, I mean, yeah, but it's not very interesting. And I think, yeah, to Sarah's point, it's like if the remake doesn't go into that and say, hang on a sec, the, um, the structure of these people. But the old guard, the old guard does. Yeah. The old guard... To spoil it, and again, I can cut this later, is literally the villain's plot. He wants to weaponise the immortals. That does, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone cares that the old guy's been spoiled. When you when you described it as boring Highlander, it's like, all right, I need never see that film then. <laughs> How can you make Highlander although, boring? Although Charlie's, 
I do like Charlize Theron in that. It's also, it's boring Highlander. I, I like to think it's also Charlize Theron gets to cosplay as Xena, which she clearly was a fan of when she was young. Because there's a whole bit where she's just Xena for a bit, isn't there? <laughs> which I approve of strongly, obviously. And, and I do like that if we're looking at Highlander as a queer text, uh, with queer, uh, queer subtext, then, old guard, it just makes a lot of that text. Yeah, I was going to say, really nice they've got the, they're, really, they're really nice gay gentlemen. You know, the, the nicest couple, like the nicest, most romantic couple in it are those, those nice boys, which I approve of. <laughs> and I mean, Theron brings the, the ho yay to everything. She's just on a mission to make everything gay, which I'm here for. So, bless her. <laughs> Be interested to see if the uh, Die Hard um, reboot she wants to do ever happens. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, somebody on online posted this thing that, um, look, I just want a, di- a Die Hard reboot where Charlize Theron is desperately trying to rescue her wife in Nakatomi Plaza at Christmas. And she literally replied with, sign me up, I'm in. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And it's just been kind of this ongoing, they've had a whole thing online about who would you cast, you know, other than Charlize Theron, who would you cast as the... As the new, I mean, God, John don't McClane. even don't even make it a reboot. Just just make an all fi- what they're saying an all female diehard. Just say it's fine. It's yeah, exactly. It's happening again. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm I'm a big fan of them just saying it's yeah. in the same continuity. I I would much prefer the uh, what 2016 Ghostbusters if they've just gone. It's the yeah. same. It's the same continuity. We don't need to pretend this well, is anything else. Do, I quite quite like that they just do their own thing in that film, but yeah, they could I, easily when they start to tie it into stuff. Well, we're going to see if that works uh, in the new Ghostbusters, aren't we? Because that does exactly that. Yeah. But uh, and will and apparently it's, it's next week, isn't it? It's officially out. It is. It's um. But is um Charlize Theron gay? No, no, not at all. Oh, but right. um, she she got tired, didn't she, of every role she's played until she played Furiosa. Everything always her characters having all this agency and being really kick ass, and then it just and always always ending up as the love interest. Oh, I completely. And missed so all she's this. got to the point she's. Yeah, well, she sort of said it. it's a kind of, it's a sad reflection that the only way you get to have characters within the agency is if you make one of them gay, basically. Oh, that's so true. But um, I also just think she, also she just doesn't care. She wants strong female roles. So Yeah, indeed. That's really, I mean, yeah, that's like a harsh indictment of uh, of current Hollywood filmmaking practices, well, was, but it's um, also true, isn't it? It's, um... Well, that's Rachel Vice, isn't it? Rachel Vice wasn't she, didn't she do, she had some production thing on The Favourite, but she, she produced Disobedience. And she, when she put together a production company, one of the the caveats she put out was right. I want, I want films where the women in it have more agency, where they have where the plot revolves around them, and they're more than just the love interest. And she said that that was all she said. And then she said, she was starting to go through all the scripts. And after a certain point, she went, "Hang on, all of these are lesbian love stories." <laughs> and not, it was just pointed out to her, but they were the only ones they could find that hit the brief that she gave them. Oh my god. Pretty, you know, I mean, I don't get me wrong. It's funny actually. Like throughout my life, when I worked more in television and when I did my degree, I I wrote stories which had gay protagonists because I'm a lesbian. But I also, you know, quite like me a, a grizzled male protagonist, and I've written stories about that. You should be able to have all of them. But I think when you have only one thing for so long, it, it's quite boring. So, but it's a shame that this seems to be the only you know the the, the thing that they're putting in. I mean, I don't know. I think it's changing a bit. Um, but it's just, you know, I quite like that she loves her gay fans and she's quite happy. I mean, I am here for an all-female diehard reboot. I actually quite like them to... It doesn't have to be gay. I, I'd be here for, um, you know, Jean McLean or whatever they end up calling her <laughs> husband being, you know, being there at the Nakatomi Plaza and, and her having to rescue him. And, you know, they were talking about what casting you would do. And I, I think Regina King would absolutely kill McLean. I think she'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be... Um, yeah. In that sort of role. 
Yeah. And then, then if you're going to do that, you've got to cast Sandra Bullock as Hans Gruber, basically. So they can have a Miss Congeniality 2 reunion. <laughs> and Sandra Bullock's not played a baddie enough. Oh, this all sounds like Sarah, stop trying to orchestrate a Miss Congeniality 2 reunion. It's all you go on about. <laughs> Come on. Right. Come on. You can't go wrong with a Tina Turner scene to this day. Still makes me laugh. So I don't see why I can't, can't be Tina Turner. And then Virginia King's reaction face is one of my favourite things <laughs> in modern film. Just everything in her expression is like, because you're not black. It's just brilliant. It's such a great reaction shot. But she doesn't say anything. She just looks at her. Why can't I be Tina Turner? So, <laughs> oh. I don't, yes, anyway. The love for Mr. Congeniality too. I can't help myself. But I do think, I don't know, Sarah, I think you need to put your fingers to the word processor and actually write a script that isn't just a lesbian love. Well, you've seen whenever I'm on, on, on Twitter, I'm always putting in suggestion for things. So always, always. But it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, so what are the yeah. options then to have to have like a female-centric film? It's either a gay love story or a reboot yeah. of a... Of a male I mean, action I, I film? Think it'd be, I mean, is that it? <laughs> Are they the options? Wonder Woman showed that people will have. A, I mean, I love Chris Pine in that yeah. film as the, the male love interest. Absolutely, he's, he's great in it. And in a way, I mean, I know that Wonder Woman 1984 is a hot mess. I've got a bit of a soft spot for some of it, but I think it's a shame. You know, they've still had that lovely chemistry, but they almost slightly ruined it by making that such a focus in the second film. But the first film is great, and he's great in it as well. Absolutely. Actually, that is the one, isn't it? That is the template of like, here's how yeah, you, can you can do, do it like this. a proper action film. And to be honest, you're right. I mean, yeah, Wonder Woman 84 is a hot mess, yeah. but it's still Yeah, absolutely. Hot. I mean, I mean it's, I, like, it's one I of those. Like, I had that weird it's... feeling when I was watching it. I've got a soft spot for it. And I had a weird feeling when I was watching it. It reminded me of when I saw the first series of Stranger Things. It's not like watching something set in the 80s. It's literally like watching something made in the 80s. And I really felt that was what Wonder Woman 1984 felt a bit like. Plus, I love Kristen Wiig. And I really loved what she did with that role. And I, But it was only at a certain point I was like... Oh, I know why I like this so much. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Because it, it basically, it, if she was yes. a baddie, a full baddie, basically. But I still love her in it. And I hope she comes back because she should in theory. Because she, she didn't, she, as Rob and I have discussed, she's the only one who didn't renounce her wish. And so she still has the powers she does. She's just no longer, looks like that's she's right, in yes, That's right. <laughs> so. I don't think that DC are going to go back to WW84 anytime soon, though. Which is, I think, still I, a shame. I quite enjoyed parts of it. We, you know. But are we saying that Brenda is the kind of the spiritual mother of all the action no, no we're not, we're not. That, we? but it's, she's no, not the spiritual mother of all the action heroines that no, came afterwards not in the slightest although if you, if you watch the movies that made us the, the making of aliens has a really lovely bit in the end about ripley and about the impact of that character and i think it's one of one of my favorite things about i thought it was very well done that making of and that bit at the end where they said just seeing women do kind of ordinary things in a way just being in situations and not screaming or being the love interest just reacting to them as ordinary humans without it being a question of whether they're a, a woman or a man and i think that's that's hopefully what's going to continue to change as we go forward i hope so anyway yeah you're right that's the 1986 action fantasy movie that yes. <laughs> presents the woman who then became the spiritual yes. mother of all action <laughs> you heroines mean the greatest film ever made i think rob yes <laughs> it is always ripley <laughs> and also watching that making of you realize that sigourney weaver saved yeah, yeah. the film <laughs> as well as the character ripley playing you know saving everyone but when you watch the making of the only reason it got made is because she got everyone to to behave themselves we've got james cameron to be less awful and apologize to everybody <laughs> be less of a dick to the, the british crew yeah i love i love all of <laughs> them right. going oh we'll finish it we'll make and it for really good for her to not like, oh. be so antagonistic towards him yes right i suppose we want to go on to our next section which i'm excited about yeah so is there anything else to add to this particular scenes 
I just want to say we obviously can't forget perhaps the most uh, influential fictional female scientist in film, of course, um, Christmas Jones. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Jones, Christmas Jones. And don't make any jokes, I've heard them all. I don't know any doctor jokes. It was everything that um, Sarah said was wrong with 80s heroines. Returned again in 1999 in The World Is Not Enough. The World Is Not Enough. That, yeah. That's, yeah, that was oh, a dear. particularly yeah. dark day for Bond girls, that was. Yeah, bless Paul Denise Richards. She was uh, cast to a certain type continuously. The old Denise. I completely agree with what you said. Yeah, she was cast a type, but, uh, and that type shouldn't have been a nuclear scientist <laughs> i mean you know what you can be very glad i know i know some very glamorous lady scientists i know some very glamorous scientists i know some very handsome scientists as well but as a as a rule somebody who got to that point in their career with the field that she was supposedly topping she should at least be quite a bit older i think yeah so you attended harvard at the age of eight unless all the nuclear power is like unnaturally de-aging her so she's being de-aged by her nuclear studies but Sarah, she she can't be older than that because then she'd be the same age as Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, and that just doesn't work. I can't. <laughs> we can't have that. Yeah, which of course is it would be oh, unacceptable. Lovely, lovely, lovely Pierce Brosnan. Oh, those eyes, smoothness personified. Yeah. Okay, so now we're on to Pierce Brosnan on our, on our Highlander podcast. Is it time to? Um... Yes. <laughs> Do you know what? Stop. If they want to cast Pierce Brosnan as Ramirez in the Highlander reboot, I'm up for that. No, oh, I would love that. I would be that's here for a that. Good shout. Yeah, that's a very good shout. I'm still, I am still hoping that Cavill is is the Kurgan. He'd be so much better really as the Kurgan. So true. Yeah, no, I am, I am loving late career. Uh, Silver Fox will take any bonkers role. Pierce Brosnan. I'm very here for that. As long as he doesn't sing again, I think he can do everything. Oh, let else. him sing. Whatever happened to our love? I wish I understood. It used to be so nice, it used to be so good. No, my ears still haven't recovered. <laughs> Which, yep, I like that on this I'm getting to sample a number of things, including Hammer Time, She Blinded Me With Science, and Pierce Brosnan's singing <laughs> in Mamma Mia. Singing, inverted commas. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we should um, probably start wrapping this up. Um, Sarah, <laughs> would you like to do your plugs? Um, I don't have much to plug other than you can come and shout at me about any and all things, but especially aliens, if you want, on uh, Twitter where I'm strapping lass. And uh, how about you, Mr. Daniel? Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. My writing is at electric-shadows.com. And if you want to listen to the other podcast that Rob and I do, which is called The Movie Robcast, then you can wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to follow that on Twitter, then it is at MovieRobCast. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Robert M. Wallace. Uh, my writing is also uh, available online at Of All The Film Sites. You can find this podcast at McLeod Time on Twitter or email us at whowantstopodforever at gmail.com. Well, thank you once again, Sarah. It's my pleasure, thanks. And thank you once again, Rob. Well, thank you. And until next time...